It's always good to be able to go to the Bible when you have questions. You know, God has created you. You've been made in the image and likeness of God. And he's given us a book to live according to his plans and purposes for us. We know our God, he's a good God. He's a perfect God. He's a loving God. So he has your best interests at mind and at heart. I was listening to a teaching today, and it's so true. God's absolute best for you and I is to be dwelling in the midst of his love. That is the absolute best for the life of any human being, is to be dwelling in the midst of his love. And whenever we sin, whenever we go after our flesh, whenever we obey the things of this world, what we're saying is we would rather be in the love of this world than the love of God which is not the best and the most optimal thing for each and every one of our lives. I don't know how often you guys like doing things that are not optimal. I, I, oftentimes in my life, I waste time trying to find what's the exact optimal way, if that makes sense, right? If you guys are hungry and you want to go to a restaurant, what do you guys do? You guys just find the closest one. Anybody else? Find the best one. That's where I'm at, right? Go on Yelp, go start looking up reviews, right? Three and a half stars, eh, right? That means you got to order the right thing there. Uh, five stars with like 10 reviews. That's probably like their family and friends that they told them to make some good reviews for them, right? But after you get over 50, 100, 200 reviews, then that's what we're looking at. So for us in our lives, we should be asking, Lord, what is the most optimal and best thing for my life? Unless you guys just want to live a terrible life, right? Anybody here want to live a terrible life? We'll pray, we'll pray, right? Right? None of us. None of us come out the womb or as kids, right? You ask little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? A loser, right? None of them, right? <laughs> I want to waste my life. No one says that. So again, if we want to live in the best way possible, we should always be going back to the Word of God. So it's like 20-something questions that haven't been answered. I'm going to try to get through them. Always a biblical answer. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's turn there. 1 Timothy 3, uh, one of the first questions here is, what expectations should a girl have when dating a Christian man? What are the expectations from a woman when she's dating a Christian man? For men, most of us, we can go to Proverbs 31, and that's what we should be looking for in a wife. I think recently within this last month or so, there's the obvious thing each of us should be thinking that if this is the woman I'm looking for what kind of a man should I be to attract a Proverbs 31 woman right but in first uh, Timothy chapter 3 here's two portions of scripture and this should be the Proverbs 31 for men so ladies this is what you should be looking for in a man and men this is what you should be looking for in your own lives First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 through 7, it says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well. Having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church and the church of God? Not a novice, 
Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Some of us may be looking at this and say, a bishop, right? I don't need to marry a bishop, right? I don't need to marry someone like this. Again, question for you, what type of man do you want to marry? A loser, right? No, hopefully none of you ladies want that. You want the best man out there, and the Lord has a man for each and every one of you. You're still a young adult. You don't have to think you got to give up, right? i got to settle. If it's not this guy, maybe there's no other guy out there. Don't let the devil lie to you. It's a life in the pit of hell. You should be waiting for the absolute best man out there. Now your idea and your hope should be realistic, right? Oh, I want to marry a seven foot six man, right? Look like the rock, look like this, look like that. No, right? Biblical things. That's a way that we should be looking at. So you should be desiring the best man possible. I think it was last year at the winter retreat. We were around the campfire talking about things. How do you know someone's the one? Or how do you know when you really love someone? Some of the girls asked me, I said, I I think you know someone's the one when you love them enough to hope that they find the best spouse possible, even if it's not you. And that's the desire that we should have is that I love that person enough that I hope and desire they find the best spouse possible for their lives, even if it's not me. Now, we shouldn't just loathe and self-pity. It's not me and cry and whine. No, we should try to become the best man that we can be through God and the power of God. You should try to be the best woman you can be through God and the power of God. And if the Lord has someone better for that person, the Lord will do that. But you should be trying to continue to grow and mature as a person. You don't want to marry a little girl that you got to raise and take care of. And hopefully none of the ladies here want to marry a little boy that they have to raise and take care of. Each of us should be growing and maturing. So real quick through this list, blameless, right? Someone can't throw sin at him and it sticks to him. He's above blame. He's above reproach. The husband of one wife, he's a one woman type of man. Is he constantly dating different girls? Does he always have a group of girls around him? That's not a good sign. Temperate means that he's steady Eddie. He doesn't go through these huge emotional swings. Uh, Guys, just a little secret for you. I don't think it's attractive to any woman to find a man that has more emotional swings than she does, right? So if you're the type of dude that you go from high highs to low lows, that's not very attractive. You're supposed to be the rock. You're supposed to be the one that's able to talk the girl down off the cliff. She shouldn't be having to talk you down off the cliff or asking you how, you, how are you feeling today, right? That shouldn't be the case. You're going to talk about your feelings as you grow closer to one another. But again, we'll go look at it later. First Peter 3, the different roles between the man and the woman. Sober-minded. His mind is not corrupted or drunk on any specific topic or any specific thing. He's blinded in his decision-making because of his love for sports or his love for drugs and alcohol or of his love for this, that, or the third. He has good behavior. He's hospitable, right? Hospitality just shows that you are able to care about other people more than yourself. You're able to put someone else's interests before your own. And if the man can't put your interest before his own, that's not the type of guy you want to marry. 
If he can't provide a meal for you or cook for you or ask you, hey, would you like a glass of water, right? That's not the type of dude that you want because if he's just so selfish, we'll look at later on. When a man is selfish, they will quickly fall into sexual immorality because when you're just all about yourself, you're going to do whatever pleases yourself, right? We'll look at that later on. They're able to teach. Are they able to go through the word of God? Right, A part of the roles of a husband and wife in Ephesians 5 is the man is supposed to be able to wash his wife with the water of the word. Some people think, oh, that's just reading devos together or a couple that prays together, stays together. Those are good things. But the husband should be able to teach that when the wife is going through difficulty, he's able to listen and hear her out and know when he's just supposed to say, wow, honey, that stinks. Right? He's supposed to be able to know that. But then he should be able to give her the biblical answer for her situation. He should be able to do that. So he should be able to teach. Not given to wine. I don't think you want to marry a guy that's a drunkard. Not violent. I don't think you want to marry a guy that might hurt you or your children or people that you love. Or that you're going to have to bail out of jail because he's getting in fights in the street. Not greedy for money. Again, if money is his God, that's going to affect you, your marriage, your family, your children, how often he's around the house. But he should be gentle, not quarrelsome. How often does he like getting into arguments? Is he able to say, I am wrong, I messed up? Right? There's a problem. Some guys, they take themselves too seriously and they can't laugh at themselves. If you're seeing that when you're dating, that's not a good look. That's just a ton of pride that they take themselves way too serious. Not covetous, right? Always looking at other people and what they have, always wanting their things. One who rules his own house well, right? Not that you should be going into his room by yourself, right? But is his room clean, right? Does he help around the house or do mommy and dad do everything and he's just the little prince that the whole family carries him around the house, right? Because if that's who he is, guess who you're marrying? Guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to carry that little prince around the house, right? And if that's what you want, that's between you and the Lord. But that's not what I want for my Ella or for any of you either. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Again, maybe he has kids. Probably doesn't have kids. But is he good with kids, right? After your marriage, what's the next primary role that that man is going to have in your life? He's going to be raising your children. Now, do you want to be raising multiple kids, including that guy? Hopefully not, right? That's why you're laughing, right? You're saying, heck no, I don't want that, right? So if he's acting like a child and can't take care of a child, that's going to be his next primary role in your life as things progress. So you want a man that he can. He can rule his own life well. And in a sense, he's able to have the respect of kids. He doesn't take himself so seriously that he can't laugh or make silly jokes with kids. Again, guys, great plug to be in kids' ministry and be working with the kids there. Verse 6 says, not a novice. If he just got saved, wait a while, right? If he just got saved, he just started coming back to church Wait a little bit. That's a part of my testimony with Amanda. She realized I had just come back to the Lord within a year. She waited a while to make sure it was legit. Finally, verse 7, Moreover, he must have good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. What is the man's reputation? 
What is the man's reputation? And that's why it's so important. We'll look at later. How do you start a relationship? You should be including as many people as possible. If this guy just wants you and him secretly starting off this relationship, bad things happen when someone wants to just get you in a corner and sort of make decisions completely alone, right? When you go by a car, they usually pull you into an office and you're all by yourself, right? Because they're trying to intimidate you. If you're playing a board game and someone starts whispering in your ear and doesn't want the rest of the table to know what's going on, usually they want to manipulate you. They're trying to take advantage of you. And if you have a guy or a girl that's saying, hey, let's not include other people, let's not include your spiritual friends or your spiritual parents or pastors or leaders, let's just do this, you and I, perhaps they're trying to take advantage of you and not let you know their full reputation. Travis and Maddie shared that how Travis was even able to overcome a bad reputation. And that's who we should be. So you should be including people to make sure this is a young man or a young woman with good reputation. You could just write down, uh, that way we can get through more than one question. You could just write down Titus chapter 1 verse 5 through 9. I'll read through it real quick. Blameless husband of one wife, faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Blameless, a steward of God, not self-willed, right? His will is to please God and to bless others. He's not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable. A lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Next, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The next question, I like lumped four different questions together. What should be a requirement before you start dating? How do I start off a relationship in a healthy, God-honoring way? What does God need from you in order to start a relationship with someone? What are some characteristics of a healthy Christian relationship? So I thought these were all sort of similar. There in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll read verse 14 and then verse 17 and 18. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What's the number one requirement before you start dating? You are both believers. You're both Christians. You're both disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the number one requirement. That's needed in a relationship. Again, two different worldviews, two different scenarios, two different views of what marriage is or the roles of marriage. You want someone who's a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, these scriptures, you don't have to turn there, but Proverbs eleven fourteen, Proverbs 15, 22, and Proverbs 24, 6. So 11, 14, 15, 22, 24, 6. First 11, 14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans go away, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. 
24.6 says, For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. You should have no secrets with someone from the opposite sex until you are married. You should have no secrets. There should be no reason to have secrets or hide things, and you should be including your friends. If your godly friends that you've spent the last year, two, three, four, five years with don't agree with this guy or girl and they've loved you for the last amount of years, you should not just be throwing their counsel out the window. If you have godly parents that love you and care for you, you should be looking for their counsel in this relationship. The pastors, the people around you that love you and care about you, you should be bringing them along as you are thinking about it. Not after you start dating and it crashes and it burns. Oh, I need counsel, right? No, you want to do that ahead of time. It's the same with going to college or starting a business or buying a house. You want good counsel around you. But especially between a man and a woman getting in that friendship, dating, engagement, marriage, no secrets until you are married. No secrets. There's no reason to have secrets. You're a brother and a sister till the day you are married. That's the way you should treat one another. That's the way you should look at one another. Third question, what do you do when someone cheats? Speak with the Lord, but how do you confront them? You can go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. Some of you guys have come to me recently asking for counsel, and man, just so important to do things biblically. So first and foremost, there's a difference between someone cheating within the confines of marriage and how you should treat that and how you should go to the Lord and difference between someone cheating in dating or courtship or friendship or like each other or like like each other or really like each other or whatever weird thing that we've created. In the Bible, you had single, you had betrothed, which basically meant you were married but you didn't have the benefits of it for a year. And married. That's all you had in the Bible. Now we have like a million things on this progression that doesn't exist. But what do you do when someone cheats? Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. Moreover, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell them their fault between you and them alone. If they hear you, you've gained a brother. But if you will not hear, you take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, Tell it to the church, but if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So if it's in the confines of marriage, biblically you have a reason to divorce. However, if they are truly repentant and the Lord is doing that work in your heart, you can take a step back and really pray whether to forgive them or not. There's lots of marriages here in the church that they've been able to go through difficulties like that. And it was one and done, never again. They were able to forgive and it's tokens of God's grace, love, and mercy. However, if you're dating or you're engaged and this happens and this transpires, thinking of the advice I would give my daughter, I'd say, stay away. That's not the person for you unless they can prove through long period of time true fruits of repentance. Zach, how could you say that? No grace, no mercy? No. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. Let's turn there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. 
What's the number one most important thing to start a relationship God's way? I said it a couple of minutes ago. You're both believers, right? You're both Christians. So check out Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. So if the number one thing to have a biblical relationship, a God-fearing relationship, is for both of you to be Christians and believers, if someone is having any type of sex outside of marriage, especially on a consistent basis, they're living in a question mark. They may not be saved. That's exactly what Ephesians 5 verse 5 through 7 tells us. If you are here and you are constantly having sex outside of marriage, there's only a handful of marriages here, any type of sex, with your hand, with a mouth, with the computer, with the internet, whatever the case may be, any type of sexual conduct, boy, girl, woman, man, animal, VR, whatever crazy insanity there is out there today. Outside of marriage, of the one person that you've married, the one born male and the one born female, married before God and before the court, it's fornication. And if you're doing it on a habitual basis, you need to look at Ephesians 5, verse 5 through 7, and ask yourself, are you a son or daughter of obedience or a son or daughter of disobedience? Because if you're constantly giving yourself into sexual immorality, you love yourself more than God, and you love yourself more than that person that you say you want to marry one day. That's just what it breaks down to as simply as I can give it to you. And verse 6, right, what does it warn us? Let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't you lie to yourself and don't let anyone else lie to you. I, pobrecito, everybody goes through this. No, everybody's a sinner. Every single human being is a sinner. But if we are sons and daughters of God, through the power of Christ in us, Romans chapter 6, when sin comes knocking on our door, we can emphatically say, nobody's home. Nobody's home. That's not who I used to be. That's who I used to be. That's not who I am today. I don't have to obey you anymore. And if you really love God or you love that spouse, you're going to do like Joseph. You're going to run out of the house. You're going to do like Jesus says, cut off your hand, pluck out your eye. You're going to get rid of the phone or the computer, the laptop. You're going to call a brother. You're going to call a sister if you're a lady here. You're going to talk with your parents. If you really love the Lord your God and if you really love that person that you care about. So if cheating and sexual misconduct is happening before you're even married, it's better to separate before you're married, before you share last names, before you share bank accounts, before you have kids, before you have houses. Way, way, way better. Even if it's the five minutes before you're saying, I do. Better to separate then than to have all the other attachments there. And then what was Ephesians 5 or 7? Do not be partakers with them. Don't join yourself with that person. And again, ladies, you should know how important you are, how much God loves you, how special you are in God's eyes that you demand a man that's able to have enough love for God and love for you to keep himself pure and obedient to the will of God. Because if he's doing that in the engagement or the dating, that's not going to just fix itself. Once you're together and you're married, just because now you can have sex with one woman, if he's used to having sex with multiple women every day through the computer, he's not going to be okay with just you. 
So that should be in you, just like the man should expect that from you as well. So I think that was a clear enough answer. Next question. How do I know the difference between a godly partner and someone who's a false godly partner? Let's go to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, I think this is a great portion of scripture for us to look at the mirror of our own lives and for us to look at the person that we're praying about or the person that we're with today. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. It tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So again, who are they spending time with? Who are they sitting with? Who are they taking counsel from? What does this man or woman delight in? Do they have any delight in the law of the Lord? Are they reading their Bible? Are they in their word? Do they read their Bible besides Monday nights and Sundays? Are they in God's word? Their life, is there fruitfulness in their life? Or is it just sort of a barren desert, right? Again, what do you want to attach yourself to? A barren desert of a person? Or someone that has life and fruit flowing out of their lives? Next question, should a man or woman be best friends with the opposite sex while dating someone else? The answer is no. Uh, but hey, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Again, I'll tell you guys this. The only best friend you should have after you're married is your spouse. So it's a warning to you guys. If you have multiple friends that are of the opposite sex, sooner or later you have to cut them off. And maybe not for you guys, but for me... It was an unattractive thing looking at single girls praying, Lord, who do you have for me if you always had a ton of guys around her? Because guess what? Once you're married, I don't want any guys around Amanda, right? Kind of makes sense. So if she's already doing that beforehand, that's not going to just magically go away. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we should be fleeing, running away from youthful lusts. And usually when you have a best friend, you spend time with them alone. You're on the phone with them. You're constantly communicating with them. You're sharing your feelings. You're sharing how the day is going. And that's just priming your heart for heartbreak. So again, I don't want Amanda to have any best friends that it's a dude. And I don't think she wants me to have any best friends that are ladies. So you want to be doing the things you want to be doing in the next season. right? That's why you should be marrying someone or dating someone that already has a job that can already provide for themselves. Why? You don't want to get married and then say, hey, you got to go out there and look for a job. No, that should be happening already. Next question, how do you keep the love in a relationship if you, don't get, if you don't plan on getting married for many years due to not being financially stable? 
This is going to be a hard one, but I'll give you a couple of references. They're all in Songs of Solomon. Songs of Solomon or Songs of Songs, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 5, and chapter 8, verse 4. Songs of Songs, Songs of Solomon, 2, 7, 3, 5, 8, 4. I'll read them in order. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the, the doves of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Next time, chapter 3, verse 5, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Last time, chapter 8, verse 4, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. If you're having to wait many years before you can get married, I would say take a step back and just be friends. That's, that's my best advice to you because my worry is not keeping the love in the relationship. My worry is keeping the love out of the relationship, right? That, that's my worry because you're going to want to continually grow and show that love to each other in greater and greater ways. Same reason you shouldn't be engaged, I think, this is just me, not thus saith the Lord, for more than a year. I don't think you should be engaged for more than a year. I think that's dangerous territory or they're trying to keep you on a string. If you're ready, you're ready. If you're not, you're not. So if you have to wait many years, maybe you have to redecide what does financially stable really mean, right? That's what you may have to think. Or you may have to wait and work seven years and then another seven years like Jacob. And for him, it was like a day, right? Because of the love he had for her. So I encourage you, if you are saying, man, this is many years out, but that's the one, trust the Lord enough to put her or him on the altar. Wait, be a friend, wait, serve the Lord with all your heart and singlehood. And when you're ready to knock it out in a year or two years, man, go for it. Number seven, how long should you wait in the talking stages for a guy to initiate dating, given that you both showed mutual interest? Another answer from me personally, forever. That's how long you should wait if you're the lady. If you're the lady, you should not be the one to initiate the dating phase. Proverbs 21 verse 23, whoever guards his mouth and keeps his tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Proverbs 12 verse 23, a prudent man or a prudent woman conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness there's I wish I had the study cited but there is something that happens mentally when we talk about doing something that your mind gets sort of the feeling of accomplishment even though you've done jack squat right so you could talk about yeah I'm gonna start working out and your mind somewhat thinks like good job that was a tough workout right or different things like that Man, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to do this. So I would be careful in just expressing, expressing interest to another guy if you're a lady here. Just wait and keep it to yourself. Be friendly, right? Someone wants friends. They must show themselves friendly, right? But however, keep those things to yourself because the moment you tell them you like them, they may like the idea of you, but they may not like you personally. They may like the idea of having a guy or a girl around them that likes them, but once they get to know you, they say, oh, snap, I don't like this person whatsoever. And that's why it's so important, man, conceal that knowledge. Keep it to yourself. Keep your soul out of trouble. If you have to be initiating every season of life with the dude, that's a long, long road ahead. 
Because then you're going to have to initiate marriage. You're going to have to initiate. You're going to have to initiate dating. You're going to have to initiate engagement. You're going to have to initiate marriage. Initiate kids. Initiate him getting a job. Initiate him getting off the couch. You're going to have to initiate all those things. So just wait. Let him do that biblically. The guy's the initiator. The lady is the responder. Number eight: How to honor God before and during the dating stage. I think it's just how you honor God in every stage of life. You can turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. This is really for every state of life. How can we honor the Lord? Matthew 22 verse 37 through 39. It says, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how can you honor God through all these different seasons of Dating and engagement and marriage, it's loving him with everything you've got. Love him with everything you've got, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Because Luke chapter 16 verse 10 tells us, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is un- unjust in what is least is also unjust in what is much. So if you're unable to love the Lord with all you got being single and then dating and then engaged and then in a marriage, it's just going to fall apart sooner or later. But if you can be faithful in the little things, in the seasons of life, then you're going to be able to continue to honor God in every state of life. How involved, question nine, how involved should both sets of parents be in my relationship? I think it depends where that relationship is. I think Ephesians chapter 6 gives us a great balance. Ephesians 6 verse 1 through 3, you see the balance here. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, I've already stated, especially if your parents are believers and Christians, you should include them really in everything and anything until the day you're married. Until the day you're married. And now here's the second half of this. Once you are married, then it's about honoring your father and mother and not necessarily obeying your parents. Obeying, that's for children. Hopefully you guys see that progression. Children need to obey their parents. Once we are no longer children, which many of you are, right? All of you guys are adults. You need to just honor your father and mother. And it's between your relationship with the Lord. Just better be able to back it up biblically and still respect and honor your parents through it all. But the moment you're married, you should no longer be exposing the weaknesses of your spouse to your parents. The moment that you're married, you should not be ragging on your husband or wife to your mommy and daddy. Right? Why? Whose side are they going to pick? Come on now, right? Whose side are they going to pick? They're going to be on your side. And then when Thanksgiving comes and they're cutting that turkey, they're going to be looking at your spouse a little bit different, right? Because they hurt my baby. So once you are married, you should still seek counsel, but you should be able to seek other godly marriages, other godly people. Don't be going to your parents. That's even myself included. You should be able to protect and honor your spouse. You should be able to protect him or protect her once you're married. You shouldn't be bad-mouthing them. In Proverbs 31, you see a mutual respect, love, and protection between the Proverbs 31 woman 
and the Proverbs 31 man. And that's the way it should be. We should be protecting that man or woman. That should be a key for you when you're dating. If this person's always putting out your dirty laundry to other people, that's not going to go away magically. And if they're putting out your dirty laundry while you're friends or you're dating or engaged, it may only get worse. If they're going to their mommy and daddy telling them about how big and bad you are, why do they want to marry you in the first place, right? If you're that terrible. So again, you should be looking at these things. Another part of the progression, you could just write down Mark 10, 6 through 9. Jesus says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. God's not confused on gender. He made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother to be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Ladies and gentlemen, once you are married, your family is that person that you married and your children. That is your new family. Your extended family now is your mom and dad and your sisters and your brothers and your cousins and abuelita and abuelo and tío and everybody else, right? I have the same difficulty even with my son. I say, hey, we're going on this family trip. He goes, oh, so my cousins are coming and this uncle, right, and this grandparent. He goes, no, 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 us five, we are a family. So biblically, once you're married, you are to break apart from the rest of your family, still spend time with them, still love them, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all those types of things, but now it's your family that you are responsible for. Number 10, how can a person who has been saving themselves for marriage reconcile with their partner who did not wait? Will that bring doubts and issues later on? There's no doubt that doing things in an unbiblical way will bring issues. It's just plain and simple. If you do anything in life in an unbiblical manner, it's going to bring issues later on. Will it bring doubts? It will bring doubts. But now how can you handle that? That's a part of my testimony with Amanda. I was in sexual immorality before we got married, before I had come to the Lord. But there's many truths in Scripture for us to hold on to. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if that man or woman is truly in Christ, they're a new creation. What you want to make sure is that they have really confessed all of their sins to someone that you respect and someone that you care about. That's what you want because unless we confess those sins, then he's not going to forgive us and he's not going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? It's so funny how we sin and we right? We sin and we fall into sin. We commit sin. We slip into sin. And we say, hey, just pray for me. I messed up. That tells me nothing, right? What does mess up mean, right? You tied your shoes wrong, you tripped, you knocked down the coffee machine. What does that mean? We need to be real and vulnerable with people. And there may be shame and discomfort in expressing what we have done. And you should have shame and discomfort because it was unbiblical and it was sinful. But if you're not able to bring it out into the light with someone else, you're keeping it and you're hiding yourself there and you're giving the devil great opportunity to bully you around because you haven't brought the light on the situation. 
I'm not telling you to put it on your social media or tell everyone in the world. But you should have that one man or that one woman that you respect and you confide in. Someone that you desire to be like one day that you can confess your sins and pray together. And they can help you be accountable. Luke chapter 11 verse 4. And forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. We need to forgive as Christ forgives us. Luke 6 verse 37. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Mark 11 verse 26. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So if it's a deal breaker for you, again, that's between you and the Lord. But now don't hold it over them or constantly guilt that person if they've done that. You can check in on them. You can ask them, hey, how are you doing with this, that, or the third, these struggles? But again, you shouldn't be guilting them later on. Are there going to be doubts? Yeah, but you got to handle it in a biblical way, and you got to have good communication in your marriage. Will it bring issues later on? Only if that man or woman is trying to bring those sinful things into the marriage bed. I was listening to a teaching, and it's so true. For the guys here... And also for the girls here. When you get married, it's not so you can treat your spouse like a porn star. That's not the role of marriage. And some people, that's what they think. Man, once I get married, I can drag all this sin, all this virtual reality, and I'm going to treat this human being like that. Doesn't work that way. And we've talked about that, right? Pornography is the same as a guy that thinks he can go to war because he played Call of Duty. It's not real life. That's not how a person acts. That's not how a person acts. So we need to be careful that we're not dragging in all this pornography and all this evil, all of this filth, and now asking the mother of our children or the father of our children to act like a person that we should be, again, ashamed that we were giving our lives into that. Have to be careful with that. It's not real life. It's not reality. Question number 12, should the man have a responsibility to provide financially? Absolutely. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, very important scripture, let's turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Does that answer that question? Yes, the guy has to be able to provide financially. I know we live in 2022. Some guys are Mr. Mom and all this stuff, right? I don't know how many guys here are Mr. Mom. I have not seen that work out so well in marriages in 2022 because, I mean, maybe it can work, but you as a woman are going to have to have so much respect in your husband making decisions if he's not paying for them, right? If you're the one paying, if you're the one providing, and he says, man, honey, I think the Lord is calling us to do X, Y, or Z. Yeah, easy for you, chump. You're not paying for jack squat, right? Easy for you to hear from the Lord, X, Y, or Z. But that's why, again, I believe, biblically, the man should be providing. Are there marriages where the woman makes more money than the man? Of course. But he should be able to provide for his own house. If he's not, scripturally, he's denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. And this question is like, a whole teaching. What is the biblical purpose of marriage and romantic relationships? 
Maybe we'll make that a teaching when we come back later on. Uh, meeting your partner's needs while fulfilling your own. I think your role and my role is to just fulfill my partner's needs, period, end of sentence. It's not me trying to fulfill my own needs. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, it tells us, if, any comfort, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you not only look out for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This text isn't even specifically for marriage. This is for us in Christian conduct. As we go back there to the snacks, we should be looking to give that last donut or that last Sour Patch Kid or whatever the case is, right? You should be looking to give that to someone else. That should be our heart for just our friendships or even with our enemies, even more so in marriage. Every person, right, the husband and the wife should be looking to completely fulfill the other person. And that's how it works out well. First and foremost, looking to fulfill God's needs and desires and then looking to fulfill each other's needs and desires. Another one that's a teaching in and of itself, what are the biblical roles of a woman during marriage and what are the biblical roles of a man during marriage? See if we come back to this one, but the verse and scripture that answers this, the quickest, the quickest and the sharpest, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord and husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. That's one of many scriptures on this. Uh, you could write down Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, and 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. It all goes to the biblical roles of marriage. We either come back to this or, great, so we could go through this. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 33. So the biblical roles, and right, we use that word biblical, but we started off with saying does God have our best interests in mind and in heart, right? That's sort of how we started off this whole questions and being able to go to the Bible to address our questions. God has the absolute best at mind. God has the absolute best at heart. So this isn't even, oh, what are the biblical roles? No, these are the actual roles of marriage. Period. Because who created marriage? God did. So this isn't Western idea, Eastern idea, Northern idea, Southern idea. No, this is the actual manuscript of marriage. It's supposed to look like this. So it's supposed to be wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord, right? Going back to Colossians 3 first. And then husbands are to love their wives and to not be bitter towards them. Now we go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 33. It all starts off with submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is the base for all of us as believers, is to be able to submit. Not to always be fighting or arguing or trying to get what we want done. It's having the ability to submit under the Lord and submit under the authorities that He has placed in our lives. So men are to be submissive as well. 
We are to be submitted towards one another. And some people have issue with this. But if you marry the right person, you should be more than willing to submit to them. If you marry the right person, you should be more than willing to love her. The question is, did you marry the right person, right? Because if they are not worthy to be submitted to, then either your view is off or you just married a bad, right? You, had, you were that little kid that said, I want to be a loser when I grow up, right? That, that might be the case. But for us, man, make sure in this dating phase, right, that you're able to say, this is what God says about marriage. Are you submitting to him? Or right now in your heart, are you sort of angry, right? He said the S word. <laughs> Submit, right? Is that your heart? Because then you are not being submitted to God and your life is just getting ready for a world of pain. Because you know who else didn't submit to the Lord? Was Satan. He said, I'm going to arise and I'm going to be just like the devil. So if any, I'm going to be just like God. So if any of us think that we know better than scripture, again, you're in a world of pain. Because all of the Bible is set up for us to live the most optimal life ever. Five-star reviews, $1 sign on the restaurant, right? Absolute best of the best. That's what the Lord has for us. That's what the Lord wants for us, is to live the most optimal life ever. And it all starts off with submitting to one another in the fear of God, in the respect of God. Does that guy or girl respect God? Do they love God? Because if they don't respect God, if they don't respect God's word, that's not the person you want to be attached to for the rest of your life. That's not the person you want raising your kids. That's not the person you want to be sharing a house with. Make sure dating, engagement. So the moment you say I do and you've signed that marriage certificate, make sure that they are a man or a woman that fears God and respects him. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he is a savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So quickly here, who are the two people here, right? I guess they would be called the nouns. The two nouns in verse 22, it's wives and husbands. So, ladies, if you're just dating, you don't have to submit to the dude. If you're engaged, You don't have to submit to the dude. But if you're married, biblically, you should be submitting to the dude. So again, if you're already having problems submitting to him in friendship, in dating, in engagement, you should be asking yourself, if I'm having problems submitting now, this isn't going to get fixed. So either it's going to the Lord and saying, Lord, change my heart. Lord, help me to be more submissive. Or it's saying, this is not a person I want to hitch the rest of my life to. And now what is submission? Is this the role of one person that's greater over some person that's worse? No, it's just different roles. It's different roles in the play. Right? I don't know how many movies just have one actor in it. Can't think of any right now. Maybe someone told me afterwards, right? But movies have different actors. It's different roles that each actor plays. And a good movie usually has more than one good actor in it, right? And that's just what God has designed. A football team, a baseball team, you have different players with different roles. And usually a a shortstop, right, they have a certain build and a certain height. First baseman has a certain build and a certain height. And God has created women to be able to submit and have freedom there. 
And God has created men to love their wives. And I think God gives us these two roles because it's more difficult for us. And we have to press into the Lord more and more and more. Right? So often the conundrum in a relationship is, hey, where do you want to go to eat, right? Where do you want to go to eat? The wife wants the guy to like just guess and figure it out, right? The dude is just saying, hey, you just pick the place. I'll go there and I'll eat there, right? I don't care. I'll submit to whatever choice you make right now. And again, it's easier for most men to just say, hey, you, you pick it and I'll just follow along. But it's a lot harder for a guy to love selflessly, to be able to love like Christ has loved the church. That's where that's so difficult for men. And I think God has given us these rules because it goes against our flesh. It causes us to press into the Lord even more. It causes us to pray for our spouse more and more. The wife has to pray for the husband. Lord, we both know this guy's not the smartest guy ever. I love him. I care about him, right? But Lord, speak to him so that I can continue to be submissive to him. And really, ladies, you being able to submit to that husband means that you are truly submitted to God and submitted to his word. You're saying, God, prove it, right? Lord, show me if this is real, if this is really the most optimal way to live or not. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Again, a question for you in your dating and engagement relationship. Is this relationship leading you to sin less and less or leading you to sin more and more? Because if it's causing you to sin more and more, get out of it. Because the whole role of the man is to love her like Christ loved the church and to present her more holy, to cleanse her more, to add more holiness to her life. So if you're bringing her down and bringing more sin into the situation, you're asking her to lie, you're asking her to do sexual acts, you're asking her to do these things, that man has no reason why you should, should submit to him and no reason why you should want to attach your life to him because he's not the biblical man that you should be looking for. If he's causing you to come to church more, to pray more, to read your Bible more, to press into other godly friendships with other godly ladies, if he's encouraging you to serve more, then that might be the right guy. But if he's causing you to sin more and more, get away from the guy. You do not have to submit to him until you say, I do, and until you filled out that marriage certificate. The role for us as men is to love our wives as Christ loved the church. What did Jesus do for the church? He, he died. He gave his life. I think simply put, one of the ways I heard it right, how did Jesus love his bride? He went into her world and he died there. He went into her world and he died there. Again, we should be loving our wives at such a place that it's about blessing her, loving her, caring about her. It's not just what I want or what I desire or what I want to do with the boys or my hobbies or my wants or my dreams. It's about loving her and presenting her more and more holy. Verse 28, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, his flesh, his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Here's the last two roles that we see here in Ephesians. The man is to love the woman as his own flesh, right? As himself. That's how much we need to be caring about those ladies, gentlemen. You love her so much, you care about her so much, that it's as if you're caring for your own body and flesh. It's not as if you are united and now you are one flesh. And then the second half is that the wife respects her husband. Guys, if she's disrespecting you while you're friends, while you're dating, while you're engaged, that's not the girl. She's constantly disrespecting you, constantly knocking you down, constantly making fun of you, constantly belittling you. That's going to get old quick. And similar to the ladies. Drop the guys that are in sexual immorality. You don't want to be with a girl that's constantly cutting you down. You want to be with a girl that makes you feel like Superman. That makes you feel like you could do anything for the things of God. You want a, a wife, like Proverbs 31, that you can respect and you trust her. All through Proverbs, there's like huge pendulum swings with a good wife and a bad wife, right? All over Proverbs, you see the huge pendulum swing that, right, it's better little with no contention, and if there's contention, oof, who cares if you got a buffet eating there, right? You're going to have indigestion, you're not going to want to eat anything. Better to be in the corner of a housetop, right? Better to be living in a treehouse by yourself as a guy, right, than living inside of a house with a wife with contention, right? It's not good. Make these decisions. Check out the person before you say, I do. And that's why, again, it's so important to not reveal you like the person or you love the person or you want to marry the person till you can really see who they are. And the moment you say, I like you or I like like you or i fond of you, right, whatever you say to one another, people are going to put on certain acts. People are not going to act the same. It's just our human nature. One last portion of scripture, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So again, none of us should be in this predicament unless we're already married. Where you're married to someone and they don't love God. But the lady is supposed to be so submissive to her husband that by her character and by her conduct, she's able to win over people that are unbelievers. That's the type of conduct that the lady should have. Verse 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Gentlemen, if she spends more time worried about the way she looks than worried about her spiritual state, she is not the one. 
She's not the one. If she's only consumed with herself and how she looks and how she looks on the gram, she's not the one. Biblically, she's not the one. You want a girl that is thinking about how she can be more holy, how she can grow and mature. Listening to a teaching, is a man, don't marry a girl simply for the way she looks. If you do so, you will hate yourself later on. You'll hate yourself later on because those looks, they fade. But if you marry the right type of girl, you fall, you don't fall, you grow in love with her more and more and more every day. More and more every day. Amanda's been, never been more beautiful than she is today, right? In my heart I and mean, in my mind. And it's because the inward person of the heart, if she's focused on that, man, that gentle, that quiet spirit is very precious in the sight of God. And again, everybody's different. Some ladies here, there's a spectrum, right? They're a little bit louder than other ladies. There's some dudes here, there's a spectrum, right? Uh, Ken Graves calls it, he calls it the Mr. Rogers to Mr. T spectrum, right? And there's dudes on a spectrum. There's dudes on a spectrum. But we have to be biblical and submitted to what God says. And there's going to be a spectrum there. But we need to be obedient to God's word. Not be obedient to our sinful nature. This is saying, oh, we should only marry ladies that are I'm not attracted to them. Not at all. Not at all. If we had time to go through Songs of Solomon and you see how two people dating, they're so in love with each other and the way they look. But again, beauty is fleeting. I'm blanking out on this quote. Beauty is fleeting, but ugly goes down to the bone. Goes down to the bone. And if her heart and her spirit, she's contentious, she's cutting you down, that's not very attractive, man. Not very attractive. Verse 5, for in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid of any terror. Ladies, this is a hard saying, right? I think of my Ella having to submit to a bonehead like Abraham, not once, but twice. It's not easy, but the Lord took care of Sarah. She put the Lord on trial, basically, and said, God, you say I should submit, so I'm going to submit to this guy, even though he's calling me his sister right now, right? And I see him, I'm peeking over the wall, and I see he's getting gifts and blessings and all these things, but Lord, I trust you. Verse 7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Again, it's a short verse, but there's so much meat in here. The man is to dwell with the woman in understanding. How well do you know her? How well do you know her? What she likes, what she doesn't like, favorite color birthday, all those different things. And as a man, the rest of your life is learning her more and more. And she changes in different seasons, right? She changes in different seasons. She becomes a different woman altogether. You being together, just you two solo, is going to look different than you with one kid and her and multiple kids and the different seasons of life. Another quote there is, man, true love is falling in love with the same woman over and over and over again. 
And she's going to change. She's going to be different. But you are to dwell with her with understanding, giving honor to the wife. Again, now throwing it to the ladies. Ladies, how's your boyfriend? How's this man that you're engaged to? Are they giving you honor? Are they making fun of you? Are you being mocked? And if they're doing that while you're friends or while you're dating, while you're engaged, do you want to be made fun of for the rest of your life, right? Is that really what you want? We as men, we are to honor her, right? It says they're the weaker vessel. Some ladies take offense to that. If we have time, we'll look at that later on. It's, it's just simple biology. The amount of muscle, density, lifting, different things like that. Mental capacity for war and destruction. It's just the way God has made us. Now, the husband should be able to see the weaker vessel, and his heart should be yearning to protect it. That's what it's talking about here. A true man sees weakness, and he doesn't expose it. He doesn't put it out on display. He doesn't tell his mom about the weakness. No, he wants to protect it. He wants to care for it. That's the true desire of a biblical man. It's the same thing with little kids. A, a true man of God shouldn't see a little kid in, in a car coming and he sort of pushes the kid into the car, right, to protect himself. No. He sees a weaker vessel and he wants to protect it. That's what a true man of God does. Being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, Peter is saying here, guys, if you're here and you're married and you're not tending to your wife, don't be trying to pray to God. God is saying, fix that, work on that, and then come and we'll talk. Again, it's your father-in-law, is her dad, right? Her dad is, is your God. And for us to be able to make sure that we are truly dwelling with them with understanding, we're honoring her, we're protecting her, that our prayers would not be hindered. So let's go ahead and pray. Hopefully that was good. If not, there's always next Monday. So... Lord, we just thank you, God. Again, we thank you for your word, Lord. And God, I just pray if anyone's here, Lord, and they're skeptical, Lord. They don't think this is really the most optimal way of life, Lord. I pray that they would truly put you to the test, Lord. Or even like we've been seeing in Revelation, that they would find the God for them to serve with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength, Lord. Lord, help us to truly buy into this, Lord, and give our whole lives into this, Lord. No matter what season of life we're in, Lord, help us to be the best servant we can be, Lord. I pray that no one here would just be condemned by the devil, Lord, just seeing how far they are falling short, Lord. But that we would want to rise up and we would not want to take the grace that you've bestowed upon us in vain, Lord. But we'd want to take that grace, Lord, and we'd want to multiply whatever talents you have given us, Lord. So, Lord, strengthen us. Help us to be the men you want us to be. And, Lord, help the ladies be the ladies you desire them to be, Lord. Help us to stir one another up to good works, Lord. Help us all to be biblical, God, in every single relationship, Lord. The romantic ones, the friendship ones, the ones with our own parents, our own siblings, God. At at work, Lord, with unbelievers, Lord, with strangers, help us to be biblical. So we just love you. We thank you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.